Thanks, Pete. Good evening, everybody. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be with you. It's really sweet to have visitors with us tonight, and I love getting to open up God's Word, teach and preach. Um, Just ask that we pray one more time for God's help. Father, we are so needy, and uh, there's, there's no man, including myself, who has power to uh, change hearts, to ultimately encourage or cause these believers to grow, but you, God, are able. So would you speak now through me, through your word, and cause us all to become more like you, to worship you and trust you in deeper and greater ways today. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I'll start out by saying that it's almost daily that I am reading my Bible and find myself uh, caught off guard when I realize how much my thinking is more in alignment with the world's than with God's, almost daily. There's, There's an allurement that the counterfeit kingdom of the world has on us. There's, there's an attractive nature. There's something beautiful about the world. There's something, there's something that seems so reasonable and right in the messages, in the messages uh, and ways of the world. And whether we realize it or not, there's in those counterfeit messages a direct attempt to dethrone God in every single one of those messages, and more so to dethrone him from our hearts. That's what we're constantly faced with. And the the story of the Bible is the story of a God who goes after a straying people, an idolatrous people, all of us even. It's a story of a God who reveals himself to idolaters. And the book of Daniel is one such account where God reveals himself not only to his people, but even to the peoples of the earth as the people of Israel are exiled in Babylon. So we need this book today in our modern Babylon. We are are very much conflicted and distracted in a Lord by the same things that Israel and Daniel would have been a Lord and attracted to. We need this book, though it was written thousands of years ago. We need it to remind us that the, that the world's wisdom fails. The world's wisdom fails, but there is a true God, a true giver of wisdom who is worthy of our worship and trust today. Amen? So we learned last week in the first chapter that God is sovereign over all things, as Brother Gruber prayed. God is sovereign over all things. He gave, we see those three gaves. God gave Israel over to Babylon in judgment. God was in control that moment. God gave Israel. Daniel and his comrades favor. He gave them compassion despite the fact that they were exiled in this foreign land. And he also gave Daniel and his comrades wisdom, wisdom that surpassed those that were around them, all the best of the land. God is sovereign over all. We also learned that these men were faithful. Though they were in Babylon, they were not of Babylon. 
And chapter 1 is really a setup for today and for a lot of, of the book of Daniel as it's, as it's really showing us how these highly favored and high-ranking officials live faithfully in this hostile king, kingdom. They live faithfully because they're continuing to look to the sovereign God. So let's go ahead and dive into our text, and if you would, just follow along with me. I didn't have Pete read the whole text, but I'm going to kind of unpack the whole text as we go along. So verses 1 to 30, I'll be reading a lot. So open your Bibles with me. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. So we're told, first off, that this happened at the beginning of the second year. This happened in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. This is early on. And it's likely that this happened while Daniel and his friends were still in training. And I want to introduce a little Bible study tip to you because I think sometimes we're tripped up uh, when, we're, when we're reading Scripture because we assume that every story in the Bible just is linear, that it's you know, one comes after the other. But I don't think that's, that's so here. I think that the the narrative kind of opens up. Daniel grows in wisdom. He surpasses the rest. And then this is an instance. This is an instance of that. But it's, it's kind of looking backwards in time. So some people, I just wanted to say that because some people get tripped up over Scripture when they don't understand timelines and things like that. Okay? So the king, we're told, had dreams. And these dreams were so profound that the most powerful man in the world, we're told, is afraid. He's, he's quivering in his pajamas. Like This man who conquered nations is now quivering. He doesn't know what to do with it. And dreams and visions are, throughout the Bible, something that God uses to speak to men. It's very common in this book uh, we're going to need your prayers as we try to unpack the meanings of, of these, these dreams throughout Daniel. But this, this dream, uh, we're not going to get to the interpretation of the dream today, but we're going we're to focus on how God reveals it to Daniel. But I just want to say a couple words about dreams. Dreams are something where God, in, in Scripture, he, he shows people what he's going to do. He, he shows people, he encourages people, he's, he's trying to either warn or encourage or, or open something up to us that we can't know about the future or about the reality we live in. God speaks to people in dreams. He, in fact, he still speaks to people in dreams. We hear reports around the world of, of people who are seeing visions of a man in white in the Muslim world, this man saying, follow me. God chooses to speak sometimes to us mercifully through dreams. Sometimes we see in Scripture even Satan speaking through dreams. There's a tormenting that's happening. We can see that in Job 4, 12, and 12 to 16. And, and then sometimes, friends, it, it has nothing to do except for the, the pizza you ate the night before. Like, your dreams don't mean anything sometimes. So sometimes God speaks. Sometimes Satan wants to torment. Sometimes it's just your pizza. Sorry. <laughs> Nonetheless, dreams are important. They're not as important as Scripture, and they're not speaking the same sort of authoritative words as Scripture, but they can be, as I've said, one of the ways that God communicates. 
And if God happens to give you a dream that is unusually weighty, and you feel like there's some sense of urgency to it, those are moments where you just pray and you, you ask your community, help me to know what this might mean for me. What, what might the Lord be saying to me? God was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. God was up to something in this dream and it terrified this man. He was terrified of what it meant for him. Historical context would say that early on in King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, he was faced with many pressures as he was trying to establish his rule. And so he may have understood that this dream had something to do with, with his kingdom, and it, and, it, and it made him fearful. He was fearful. And friends, I want to point out that fear is a defining characteristic of the kingdom of Babylon. Fear is a defining characteristic of the kingdom of Babylon. But that's not the only characteristic that the kingdom of Babylon has. We'll also see helplessness. We'll see helplessness from the wise men, and we'll see brutality. We'll see brutality. I want to kind of show you what I'm talking about as we move through the text here. But but really, behind the, the glitz and glamour, behind the beauty of Babylon, the greatness of Babylon, I want you to know that, that it's, it's really nothing more than behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz, a little puny, powerless spirit trying to exert control with all the might that it possibly can. Behind the kingdom of the world, behind the counterfeit, there is is not the power of God. I want to show that. So verse 2, then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. It's important for us to know and understand what those, those roles are so you can get a glimpse of what Daniel and his comrades in Israel were steeped in, the the kind of the University of Babylon, what they were learning, they were learning from these men. So I'm going to quote one Daniel scholar. Magicians signify Egyptian wise men able to interpret dreams. The enchanters refers to individuals able to discern illness and to suggest a cure or perform an exorcism. Sorcerers may uh, indicate persons able to cast spells against an enemy. And then the Chaldeans represent the ancient leadership group of wise men in Babylon. What, what all this is, is saying is that, that the king of, of Babylon had all the, the wisdom and power of, of the kingdom at his disposal. He had anybody and everybody who could help him if something was threatening his kingdom. So he thought. So he thought that he, he, he had the power he needed to deal with any opposing kingdoms. These were the finest, and they, were, they made their living interacting with the unseen world. That's what these men were. And as I mentioned before, we live in a, in a counterfeit kingdom. The world is a counterfeit kingdom. And from the beginning, what I, what I mean is that the, from the very beginning, Satan and his workers have been setting up counterfeits to God and his kingdom. So, for example, in, in place of God, the enemy has set up false gods, false religions, false idols. In place of true prophets of God, the enemy has put forward false prophets with false messages. 
in place of uh, men with spiritual gifts. He has raised up men and women with spiritual gifts that are of the, the evil kingdom. They're satanic. They're demonic. And that is exactly what these men are. They are men who have the power of, say, of demonic kingdom behind them. So don't be alarmed if you hear stories or see power or signs in this world that aren't related to Christ and his kingdom. That, that is something that the Bible shows that Satan will do. He will do as an attempt to, to lead us astray. Now, we might not see those things today, but uh, those, are, those things are happening behind closed doors in our city and around the world. There is a counterfeit kingdom. So the king brought them together. Now let's continue in, in verse 2. Read along with me. So they came in and stood before the king. Verse 3, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. So with all respect, these, these men come in just like they would always, and they say, O king, tell us the dream. We will interpret it for you. They have confidence that they can interpret the dream. But then the king answered, verse 5, and he said to the Chaldeans, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dreams and its, the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Their confidence was lost. <laughs> Unexpectedly, the king asks them something that no other king had asked before. Tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. You can almost hear the trepidation in their voices. Read verse 7 with me. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show you its interpretation. They repeat themselves. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar is on to these guys. We don't know if he is is suspicious of them from before, but, but now he is. He, he wonders, I think, at this moment, one of two things. Either these guys are powerless, truly, or secondly, they're conniving against him. They know something that he doesn't know. They're about to try to take over his kingdom. This, this phrase, till the times change, denotes the idea of a transfer of power, that a new monarch would be put in his place. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered and, and the king said, there is not a, or I'm sorry, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Verse 11, 
in their response, we see a second characteristic of the kingdom of Babylon, and that is helplessness. All of a sudden, these men who are highly trained are completely helpless. They have no idea what to do, and they say, listen, king, this hasn't been asked of us. Nowhere in our books. There is no man or enchanter who can do this. It's only with the gods. Though they are speaking in a pagan, you know, with pagan worldview and world uh, concepts, they're speaking a truth. They're speaking a true theological point that there is wisdom and knowledge that only God knows, that only God contains. There's something beyond mankind that we can't touch. All the money in the world, all the medicine, all the power cannot spell out your future for you. It cannot keep you ultimately from death. There are things, and these men knew, that only God possesses. And this is one such mystery. We cannot do this. This is with the gods. There's a futility in a godless, man-made religion. There's a futility, there's worthlessness in man-made, godless wisdom. Without God, our efforts are futile. And these men feel it. The kingdom of Babylon comes up short. Always. It fails. The world's wisdom fails. Verse 12, read along please. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So all of a sudden, those wise men that he banked his life on were worthless to him. Yeah, I'm gonna kill them. They can't, they can't help me. They, they slow me down. They get in, the, in my way. They may be conniving against me. I'll kill them. And Daniel was, and his comrades were part of that group. And here we see a third characteristic of Babylon that I've mentioned, and that is brutality. There's brutality found in this narcissist king. He's ready to slaughter anyone who gets in his way. And I'm reminded, this week when I was reading this text, I was just reminded how silly it is, ultimately, when I lack boldness for Christ in the world. In this modern day Babylon. Here, here's why. I, my fear, my, my, the reason for my lack of boldness is that I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid of what other people think of me. But the reality is, no matter what we do to try to fit into the world, there is no safety in Babylon. There is no safety in the kingdom of the world. We can try to fit in all we want. And it's a fleeting, ending, futile, counterfeit kingdom. And just when we think we're on the side that's going to get us comfort, it bites back. Daniel seemed to understand this well, and he answers boldly in this situation. Read with me verse 14. 
Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Wow. Not only does he speak to the executioner, but he's like, I'm going to go to the king, and I'm going to ask that I can have an opportunity to show it to him. Daniel's not defined by this kingdom of Babylon in fear. Daniel goes with boldness. I'm sure there's some, some trepidation, but man, there's such a contrast. There's such a cr- contrast in how Daniel answers. We're told he replies prudently with discretion. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He goes without fear and boldly asks, give me a shot. What made Daniel so confident? Verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You see, Daniel was confident because he believed that his God would come through. Daniel was confident in his God. Not in the world's wisdom. He was confident in his God. This is faith, church. Not that we put our hope in self. Daniel didn't put his hope in self, we'll see here. But not in the world, not in his learning, not his own power. But on the mercy of God alone. He appealed, he depended on God. And he came with a plan that he might interpret the dream. What was the plan? We're told that he threw a prayer meeting with his friends. He threw a prayer meeting. What? Daniel, you should be like a thousand miles away right now. Like you should run, you know, right? What many of us would just run. Come on, get out of here. No, Daniel, in the moment where he's, he and his friends are, are about to be killed and, and so many others are about to be ki- killed, he prays. Wait, church, you're telling me that as people in Minneapolis are dying and going to hell, as people around the world are dying and going to hell, you gather in missional communities and, and in your Sunday gathering and pray for more laborers? What? Yes, that's what we do, church. We do it because we don't rely on our power or on our strategies or on anything else but on God. We rely on Him. He is the one that's able to save us. And Daniel knew that in this moment, there is nothing, no one able to help except for God. Faithful living in Babylon cannot be done without prayer, church. God is like the general in the command center, and we've got in prayer, like a prayer time walkie-talkie, as it's been said. What makes us think that we can ever win our war without the chief in command? What makes us think we can win? Perhaps it's a a trust in worldly wisdom or, or something in ourselves. We believe that we can do it. Secondly, faithful living in Babylon cannot be done in isolation. 
You see, he's got a community he goes to to ask for prayer. What do you do when you're in crisis? Do you have the community around you? In our MCs, in our DNAs, we, we have people that know. When I say MC, it's a missional community for you guests. DNA is our accountability groups. But in those, in those little groups, we have people that know us. We, we consistently pray with them. So when something strikes, we just do what we always do. Amen? We go to the people that have been praying for us and know us, and we pray together. Now look at verse 19 in these simple words. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. I love the simplicity of that sentence. It's kind of like, yeah, no big whoop, God answered prayer. <laughs> he gave him a vision of the night. God answers prayer. He does. It's not because we pour out eloquent words. It's not because we cry enough. It's not because we gather enough people even. God answers prayer because he is a fatherly, compassionate, merciful, loving God. And he set his attention on his people. Just like Daniel, he loves it when you put your dependence on him. When you say, I can't do it, no one else can do it, God can do it. God loves to answer prayer like that. That's our God. We're told that Daniel then blessed the God of heaven. When Daniel got his answer to prayer and the vision in the night came to him, what did he do? He did what every one of us should do when God answers prayer. We should praise the Lord. We should praise him publicly. We should praise him privately. We should give glory to God who answers prayer. And I love this because the author of Daniel doesn't just neatly skip to the, the rest of the story. We'll see the rest of the story, but it pauses. He pauses to hear Daniel's praise. This is the center of this chapter. Pauses that we would, we would worship with him. It's beckoning. This author of Daniel is beckoning us. Worship Daniel's God. Worship the revealer of mysteries. Worship the one who answers prayer. So I want us to do that. I want us to unpack Daniel's praise and just begin to worship him. Before I unpack it, I just want to say a quick word about blessing and, and praising. It says that Daniel blessed God. What is that? That's nothing more than, than glorying in what God says is true about himself. It's, it's proclaiming tr the truth of God. That's what praising and blessing God is. Delighting in God and giving credit and thanksgiving to him for who he is and for what he has done. That's what Daniel's doing here. So let's look at verse 20 as we will get into this, this praise of Daniel. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Daniel talks about who God is here. When you see the name of God, that is, that is talking about the embodiment of God's character or the revealing of God's character. God's name is his character revealed. His name sums up what he is like. So God, to him belongs wisdom and might. This is the name of God, the one who has wisdom and might. He possesses it. He defines wisdom. He defines power. 
He is the source of these things. I love how wisdom and power, wisdom and might are placed right next to each other. It shows us today that God is not only the all-knowing, wise God, but he is also the, one, the God of might who has power to enact all that he knows and wills. That is our God. That is who our God is. That is who Daniel praises. Now let's look at what he has done. Daniel praises God because he wisely and powerfully changes times and seasons, verse 21. God is sovereign, which means that he is in control even over time, even over the seasons. God is in control of these things. Little details, big details, God is in control. In the same way that he is sovereign over seasons, Daniel reminds us that he is wisely and powerfully removing kings and setting up kings. Whoever is in office today is ultimately God's doing. We may not like it. It may not be, maybe you really like it. Maybe you don't. But one way or another, we, we look to God, who is ultimately sovereign over these matters. That's what Daniel teaches us here. And that's good news for him. He praises God as a result of it. Some seasons cause us to worry. Sometimes we're, we're crying out to God like, where are you? What are you doing right now? Like Daniel and his friends might have felt when they were in exile. Why is the church under such scrutiny before the world's eyes? Why are we being persecuted like that? God, why did, why did she have to die? Why did I have to lose my baby? Why? Why, did, why is the political uh, climate the way that it is? Why are things moving in this direction? Why am I single? Why don't I have a job yet? All these things will cause us turmoil, probably the way that Daniel felt turmoil over some things. But these truths, this praise reminds us of the goodness and wisdom of God in everything that he is doing, both big and small. God is wise and good for you in all things. His plans are purposeful. His plans are wise, and there is absolutely no power or wisdom greater than God. There's nothing that can thwart his plans. If he is the one who sets up kings and removes them, there's no one else that does it, right? This is calling us to worship. Further, Daniel praises because God, this is the end of Verse 21, God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things and he knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. Daniel closes towards the end of this prayer by addressing the God of his fathers. That is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what I want to point out is that the same God that was faithful to those three men and the same God that was faithful to Daniel right now as he praises them is the God who will be faithful to you. He is the God of our fathers. He is the God of Daniel. He is all people's church God. He is the church of Jesus Christ God. That was hard to say. (laughs) 
He is our God. Same is true for us today in whatever we face. And I love how he finishes this prayer. It becomes very personal. He says, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel speaks of this God, second person, directly to him as the one he knows. He says, you, God, have made known to me. Daniel knows him and God knows Daniel. And that is what we have with our God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice finally that Daniel is praising God that all that he knows and sees is grace. You have given me wisdom and might. It's not in Daniel, but it is in God. It's all from God. So then we we bounce back into the story, and we'll speed through this section. Verse 24 Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to them, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show you the king's interpretation. Then Arioch brought the king in hastily and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers, that is, star readers, can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Notice the contrast of Arioch and Daniel. Arioch comes saying, I found you a man. Daniel says, No man, but God. 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 There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Imagine people on the edge of their seats when he brings in, I've got the man. Can you do it? Can you give me the interpretation? All eyes from the kingdom, all the wise men, everyone around, and he says, Not me, but God. He is an opportunity to point and glorify to the one true God who is the revealer of mysteries. In front of the peoples of earth, he confesses this truth. He confesses these truths. And the fulfillment of Abraham's promise that all all of Abraham's seed would be a blessing to the ends of the earth is fulfilled in part right there. Daniel is a blessing to the nations as he professes, confesses that, that, that God of heaven is able, that Israel's God. Let's finish the, the text, verse, end of verse 28. Daniel said, your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel again boldly professes that there is a God. There is one God, the God of heaven, who is worthy of worship and he proclaims it before the peoples of the earth. 
I want to call you right now in these last few moments to worship this God. I want to call you to worship this God in the face of the kingdom that we live, the, the counterfeit kingdom that we live in right now. Babylon's kingdom is alluring. It is. It is attractive. The wisdom of the world is attractive to us sometimes, and we find ourselves more aligned, as I said earlier, with it than with God's word. The message of tolerance can seem right. The message of comfort, pleasure-seeking, the money, sex, power, all these things are, are opened up before us. You can have these things how you want them in your way. All these things are alluring us in very explicit ways and sometimes in subtle ways. We're being allured. And the king turning to these wise men is a representation of turning to and listening to the world's interpretation of reality. But Daniel, on the other hand, he listens to God's interpretation of reality. And this is what I want for you. I don't want you to turn to the world with things that matter to you. Yes, there are things we can learn from the world. There, there are things that we can learn, and it's not wrong, but it is wrong when someone or something else takes that place that God is supposed to have, where God's wisdom, God's, uh, where trust in God is replaced with some other item or person or, or thing. What is an area in your life where you are tempted to live more according to the spirit of Babylon than to the spirit of God, in Scripture. Who has your ear today, church? Scripture shows us that all the world's wisdom comes up short. That's what we saw. I hope you've seen that today, that the world's wisdom comes up short. Every pagan religion, every worldly philosophy, every university in this world, guru, Politician or philosopher is truly, they're not truly wise unless they know the God who knows the future, unless they know the God who contains wisdom and might. So are the voices you listen to calling you to believe and live according to that truth, or are they calling you to conform to the kingdom of the world? What voices have your ear? Daniel will put himself This is a a second application I want to make for for you. Daniel will put himself in the face of danger against all worldly wisdom. All throughout this book because he trusts in God. And that's a very scary thing. It's scary for him. It's scary for us. But I want to remind you that trusting God, church, hear this clearly. Trusting God doesn't mean that we'll always know the future. There will be darkness sometimes, and we'll seek out and ask God those questions. Where are you? What are you doing? But it does mean, when we trust God, that we are sure of his goodness, that we are sure of him because he knows the future. We're not sure of what's ahead, but we're sure of God who knows what's ahead. I was helped by a scholar who writes this. I'm going to quote just a little thing here. You can walk into the future with a God like that 
who, who shows you that history is going towards his unshakable kingdom and who assures you that even though you have many personal uncertainties, you follow a God who knows what is in the darkness so you can keep going with hope and without fear. Amen. How could we possibly be bound by fear if we have that God? We have the God who knows our future. We have the God who knows everything that is ahead for us. So I want to call us, church, to step out this year in faith, to follow Jesus in his kingdom in crazy ways, ways that are scary to you because you've got Daniel's God by your side. Pray big things and work trusting that God is behind you. I want to ask one last question. This is, this is it. Do you know Daniel's God? Do you know Daniel's God? I said in the beginning that this book is about a God who is pursuing idolaters. The climax of that biblical story is that this unseen God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ through flesh. That is the climax of this story, that God has come so that you could know him and find hope in him. You wouldn't be worshiping and looking to an unseen God only, but you would have someone that's walked your walk. He's been in your flesh and can empathize with your weakness. He has made himself known to us. He came for sinners who rejected him, who looked to worldly wisdom. He came and he died in our place. He was ripped limb from limb so that like the wise men were threatened, we wouldn't have to be. Daniel stood in their place. He didn't take that penalty because Jesus ultimately would take the penalty. And Jesus takes our penalty if we cling to him. Jesus bled so we wouldn't have to bleed. I want you to know that the God of the Bible is not a narcissistic monarch who is demanding uh, that you uh, serve him in the way that he likes him or be destroyed in, in, in like Nebuchadnezzar, but he is one who gives and gives and gives that we might know him. Jesus is the wisdom and power of God, 1 Corinthians 1.24 says. All the fullness of God is found in him, so I want to call you to follow him today. If you don't know him, follow him. Turn we will help you. If you have questions, we will help you. Next week, Ross will unpack the interpretation of the dream. I'm so excited. We'll see how the kingdom is all culminating in Jesus. The, the spread of the kingdom of God is, is really where this book is going. So church, like Daniel, we have been placed in particular places and times with a message. We bear a message for the world. Our friends do not know the certainty of the future. They do not have a God like this behind them. Friends, let's be a light to our unsaved coworkers and friends this season. And we can be bold like Daniel because we know that he who died in our place has risen again. And even if we die, we will rise with him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can turn our attention to you for a few minutes this evening and be reminded of what is true in this alluring counterfeit kingdom that we live in called the world. Father, I pray that you would shape us as your people to be holier, 
to be more trusting and to worship you with happy hearts. Help us now to worship you for all that you've done for us and all that you will do. We love you, King Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.